Log Talk Radio. One of the most militant opponents of Booker T. Washington's philosophy of accommodation, a heroic fighter. Good evening, everyone. This is the Gist of Freedom. I am your host, Dr. Weldon McWilliams, and today we'd like to welcome our guest, uh, uh, historian Jim Johnson. Mr. Johnson, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Thank you. Good afternoon. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm you. Great, great. I'd like to thank you, and on behalf of the listeners, we would like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and. Uh, uh, taking time out to just uh, talk to us about some of the works you have going on right now. And if you don't mind, if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about what you're doing and, and also talk about your current um, book in, uh, from the slave ship to Harvard. Uh, well, my name is Jim Johnston. I'm a writer in Washington, D.C., and uh, really by professional lawyer. But the book from okay. slave ship to Harvard is about a um, – uh, African-American family in Maryland, and uh, I've done a very unusual thing. I've been able to trace them from Africa in 1736 to today, including through uh, one of the generations went to Harvard in 1923. And so it's a story of this family, but it's really a larger story about race in America and seen through the eyes of this one family. Great, great. And can you tell us a little more about uh – the, I guess, the, if you want to call it the main tag, uh, the Yarrow Mamout, is that how you pronounce it? Yarrow Mamout. He was, um, uh, yes, he was Fulani, F-U-L-A-N-I, from West Africa. That's uh, the Senegal, East Senegal and East Guinea region. And he was a Muslim. He was uh, born in roughly 1736. He was uh, a free man until he was captured. And uh, he was educated in Africa, could uh, read and write in Arabic, and then it, when he was about 16, put on a slave ship and sent to Annapolis, Maryland, where he was purchased by uh, the Bell family of Maryland. That's a very prominent family. And Yarrow is a very interesting man because he was educated, number one, and number two, he was on a slave ship. And number three, he is the subject of two formal portraits, one of them by the famous Charles Wilson Peale. Uh, and so that portrait is on the cover of the book. Mr. Johnston, now uh, the name Yarrow is it, it, a little unusual. Does it have a particular meaning? Well, it, that's very interesting. That's a good question. I, In my research, I heard that in uh, that part of Africa, there were naming conventions. And uh, the name uh, Yarrow is a name for a male child who was a woman's fourth child. So although okay. it doesn't have any particular meaning, it does tell us that he was his mother's fourth child. And Mahmoud is uh, part is the same as Mohammed, and it was the name for a male child born on a Monday. So we know mm. that he was his mother's fourth child and born on a Monday. Great, great, great. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, so how did you, uh, I guess, come up to, how did you get to the point where you knew you wanted to tell this story or tell the story of this particular family? Well, I sort of stumbled into this. I, there's a, a second painting of Yarrow. I mean, he's a very unusual man, very prominent man in Georgetown and sort of ignored by history. He's 
one of the first prominent, well, in fact, he, he is the first prominent black man in the Washington, D.C. area. And it was painted by a second painter named James Alexander Simpson. And I saw that portrait. It's at the uh, Georgetown Library. And I started wondering why I'd never heard of this man and why I found out about him and how uh, interesting and successful he was. Uh, the more I got interested in doing a book and bringing his story to the to the whole world instead of just uh, to local people. And if you don't mind, could you uh, are you able to touch on some of the things that made him unique? I certainly can. He was um, first of all he could read and write in Arabic. So uh, I think at that time in America, for uh, a black man to be able to read and write in Arabic was was really unusual and, and attracted a lot of attention. And he was educated, so that that he probably was better educated than a lot of the white people uh, in America at that time. So that was unusual. And then he was a he in a in a bad sense he was lucky in that he was a body servant, which allowed him meant that he traveled with his owner. It's more than a valet. He would travel with his owner, and his owner was a very prominent man. He knew George Washington, and he knew people like this, so that. Yarrow, over the time he was a slave, got to meet all the important white people in early Maryland. So when he finally got his freedom after 44 years, uh, he knew a lot of people, and he had also saved up money. He bought a house in Georgetown, and he also owned bank stock. He didn't merely put his money into a bank as a depositor. He actually owned stock in a bank. So all of these things made him very unusual, and when Charles Wilson Peel came here in, to Washington in 1818, he heard about Yarrow and decided to make a portrait of him. Although, I will say at the time, Peel thought Yarrow was 143 years old, so he also was interested in, in that, that was not true. Okay. Okay, good. Now, uh, the fact that uh, he was a Muslim, Yarrow Marymount, it was a Marymount, was a Muslim, was he one of the, is his story one of the earliest accounts we have of I guess an African, a, a prominent African uh, under the religion of Islam? There, there was one, and, and I talk about that in the book, a man uh, named Ayuba Suleiman Diallo, who also was Fulani, and he came to Maryland 22 years before Yarrow did. And he also has his portrait painted by a famous portrait painter. Uh, and in fact, Diallo's portrait and Yarrow's portrait are the only two that I know of of men who came on slave ships. And uh, the Diallo man spent about two years in America, and then uh, people learned about in England learned about him and bought his freedom and had him uh, sail back to England. So he only spent a couple of years in America. But uh, a man wrote his story, talked to him, and, and wrote and published a book back in 1734, a book about him. So that book is... Uh, available about his experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I think to answer your question directly, I think that Ayuba Suleiman Diallo is probably the first prominent Muslim in America okay. from Africa. Okay. 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 Now, when uh, uh, you, when the Mamut family were, were when they were captured and kidnapped, were there were there particular skills that in you know the enslavers were looking for? Uh, was there a particular skill that I guess uh, uh, caught their attention in, in the sense that made the Mamut family 
uh, uh, extremely susceptible to being kidnapped and brought into slavery? No, the, I, I don't know. The, he was brought over, Yarrow was brought over with a sister. So okay. uh, we don't know the circumstances of his capture, but somehow or other, both he and his sister, who was a little younger than he was, he was 16 when he came over. His sister was a little bit younger. So there was something that happened there that uh, caused them to be captured. I think, in fact, and I say this in the book, there were probably other Muslims in that on that same slave ship. So it looks like something happened in Africa where a group of Muslims got captured uh, and sent on this one slave ship. And you mentioned his education level, the ability to be able to write in, in, in Arabic and read in Arabic. Uh, was this uh, something that he brought with him, this, or was this something that was learned during or, or while he was enslaved, or is this something that he had already? This is something he had already. He, he probably had been reading the Koran. Uh, you know, he'd probably been taught to read in, in Africa, because, uh, and I'm sure he was reading the Koran. He was very devout throughout his whole life. Even the people in Georgetown took note of how devout he was about his religion. So uh, I think this was a language he learned as a young man. It may have been the other fellow I mentioned, Diallo, was the son of an imam in Africa and could read and write in Arabic. So it's possible that Yarrow had some religious training in Africa. Okay, great. And how did these enslavers use use Yarrow? Uh, I know, for instance, his particular skills did not, uh, you know, point out, or they did not take advantage of his Muslim skills or his education. So what was the, what was, what was the work uh, Yarrow was undergoing as a slave? Well, I, as I said, he was, first of all, a body servant, which really was a companion to his owner. His owner traveled a lot, and I suspect, uh, you know, when he's out on the road, these are still pretty tough times in America. Uh, Yarrow was traveling with him all the time, talking to him and being his companion. Uh, later in life, Yarrow uh, was just a workman. He could make bricks. He knew how to make bricks. He apparently knew how to make charcoal. Uh, his owner had water mills, and I think Yarrow learned all sorts of skills about building water mills and, and keeping farms going and things like that. He clearly knew finance because uh, in later life he was loaning money out to white people. So he understood I mean, this is amazing. He really understood finance and what was a good investment. And so somehow or other, I think he picked all of these skills up in America from his owners. Okay. And can you explain uh, how did he obtain his freedom? There was a, The story is told that um, his owner said to him, I want to have a new house in Georgetown, a big fancy house, and I want you to make the bricks for it. And if you... Uh, make the bricks for my new house when it's done, I'll free you. And so Yarrow made the bricks and got the job done, but his owner died. And so the widow said, look, I'll keep my husband's promise, and so she freed him 44 years after he came to America as, as a slave. Great, great. Uh, now, where were, you, where were you able to find, what sources were you able to use to find information on Yarrow? I mean, well, I, w I was extremely lucky because Charles Wilson Peale, the painter, kept a diary on all his subjects. And so he was so enamored with Yarrow that he wrote in his diary three or four pages and talked to people about Yarrow's life. So a lot of that came out of his diary. Uh, there's another man in Georgetown who wrote a book about uh, Washington, D.C. in the old days, and Yarrow was so famous 
he also wrote about Yarrow. So I had that book, and then that was a very unusual name. It's spelled Y-A-R-R-O-W. And so when I was looking to document census, he shows up in the census, for example. I was able to, to pretty easily track uh, him uh, throughout uh, his life. And then there's actually a town in Maryland, in Yarrowsburg, but it's named after his daughter-in-law, who was the midwife there. So uh, he, I was finding documents, deeds, several deeds and things with his name on it. So it was pretty easy because of that name uh, to know that I had the right man. Okay, good, good. And I know that your your book looks at uh, the descendants. So can you tell us a little bit about that? His son, uh, he had a son that a woman named Mary Turner, and uh, they moved. The son and this woman moved up to Washington County, Maryland, which is about 45 miles north of Georgetown, just a farming community. And he bought a house there, and I think uh, her relatives were up there as slaves. And so that's the reason they moved up there. And then uh, she became a midwife, and the place is named after her because she delivered all the babies, even black and white children. And it's really a white community. Yarrowsburg is a white community, and it always has been. It was named for a black woman. And uh, then it was her, his daughter-in-law's relatives who uh, – First of all, one of them fought in the Civil War. That man uh, then came back from the Civil War, started the first black school in that part of Maryland. Uh, his daughter, that man's daughter, then went to Astora College at Harper's Ferry, and that was one of the black colleges set up after the Civil War. And then that Civil War veteran's grandson went to Harvard in 1923. His name was Robert Turner Ford. And... Uh, the Yarrow's daughter-in-law was named Mary Trenton, so this was her family, his in-laws' family that went on to Harvard in that 
he stepped just the Simmons stepped at Harvard a year to the date. So is Harvard doing anything to acknowledge Yarrow Mahmoud or celebrate his life? No, they uh, they have always until fairly recently been uh, very blasé about uh, African Americans. I mean, they. About beginning in about 1870, Harvard did start looking for African Americans uh, to to attend. But I think that blacks had to be twice as good as any white student in order to get admitted in those days. So these uh, early blacks at Harvard were exceptional people, as was Robert Turner Ford. And you mentioned how is Yawamamut's family, I guess, preserving uh, his legacy. Well, they're thrilled as can be. They did not know the story. Uh, they they didn't even know the story because they had were able to go back to the Civil War uh, and their uh, great grandfather who had fought in the Civil War, but they had not been uh, able to go back uh, prior to him, uh, and they did not know of their connection to Yara Mamut. Mm. So they're in the mid- uh, uh, What are they doing? I guess in a. I guess. To continue his legacy, are they doing anything uh, in particular? Are they trying to draw attention? Well, I think the main thing they did was cooperate with the book. They, uh, okay. I ran, I ran into them about uh, six years ago, and worked with them on their own family and tying them in with the all. And they never knew it. In fact, they didn't know a lot of their family history because it's very difficult to do. And they're just as excited as, as can be. I will say this: the women that I'm dealing with, there are five. There were five women. One has passed away recently. But of the five women, they had eight college degrees. Three of them had master's degree. All of them had college degrees, and three of them had master's degree. So this is a very educated family. Always has been. Great, great. And how did you meet them? How did you get in contact with them? And if you can, just describe that first meeting. I will certainly. That was the most dramatic thing in the world. I, their name is Turner. That was. I mean, that's the family name. That, that's not their. They're all married now. But I was up in Yarrowsburg uh, looking for some oral history. Someone told me to go to Mount Moriah Baptist Church. There, it's a predominantly black church outside of Yarrowsburg, and they had what they called a homecoming once a year, where people that have moved away came back. And they invited me to come there and speak and see if anybody had any oral histories. And so I did. And at the end of the evening, this one woman came up to me, Gloria Dennis Ford. Uh, she's a Turner. Uh, she's passed away. But she said, uh, we're not related to Polly Yarrow. That was uh, Yarrow's uh, daughter-in-law. We're not related to Polly Yarrow. We're related to Matt Turner. Are you interested? And I said, of course I am. And I thought, you know, here I've got this tiny little town in Maryland no one's heard about, and I have two famous African-Americans who have connections to it. One is Yarrow Mahmood and one is Matt Turner. And Mm -hmm. after all was said and done and a year of research, I concluded they're not related to Matt Turner. They're related to Yarrow Mahmood because his uh, niece's name was Turner, and they came from uh, a farm in Maryland right next to where Yarrow was. Mm. Great, great. And how did they take to the news that I guess they were not related to Nat Turner, but indeed uh, Yarrow Mahmoud? They still want to be related to Nat Turner. And despite everything I say in the book, that it's impossible for them to be related to Nat Turner uh, and that it would be much better to be related to Yarrow Mahmoud, uh, 
uh, they still like to hold on to the notion they might be related to Nat Turner. But they're, okay. they're pleased as punch. They're pleased as punch to be related to Yarramamudu. You know, they all have different views. Some of them uh, think it's much better to be related to Yarramamudu. Others say, well, we we still think we may have some connection with Nat Turner. Great, great, great. And how how I guess how long did it take for you to I guess complete the book from the moment you uh, initiated research to its completion? Nine years. Nine years. Wow. And how was now, that? I guess. Uh, and and how did you come through that? Primarily through primary resources. Yes, it's almost all uh, primary resources, and uh, what a. And then there was also the question of how to write the book. And, and it's as I said at the beginning, it's more than just this family story. It's a case study of race in uh, America because throughout the book I described the bigger events that were happening and how they affected this family. I mean, the bigger events like the Civil War or, or Nat Turner's Rebellion or uh, the raid on Harper's Ferry and, and how these things were constantly affecting this family. So when you read the book, you get a feel for all of black history through this one family's eyes. Great, great, great. And can you just, I guess, for our listeners, just kind of detail maybe the race relation aspect of the book. What were some of the things that Yoro uh, Mamut had to deal with in particular regarding race and racism in America at that time? Well, the most, it starts off, for him, it started off early on, the day he landed in America, in Maryland, in Annapolis, the state, the colonial legislature was meeting, and they were debating a bill to stop manumissions that's grant of freedom to blacks. So the day that he got off the boat, he, although he didn't know it, just up the hill where the state docked, the state led, the uh, colonial legislature was debating whether it should make it harder for uh, blacks to get free. So, I mean, just right off the bat, racism was hitting him. And then uh, one of the key documents I got was in 1832 was a listing of his son and this Mary Turner living together. And the reason that uh, listing came about was because, again, the colonial legislature was so upset about the Matt Turner Rebellion in 1831 that they passed a law saying all free blacks had to be canvassed and reported by the sheriff, and so that's how I found that listing. And then when uh, John Brown had the raid at Harper's Ferry, again, the Maryland legislature came in and said, we're going to end manumissions, grants of freedom once and for all, no more manumissions after the 1st of July, 1860. And so immediately the family went and bought their freedom before the law took effect. Right, right. That's great. Now, how is Yero Mahmood, or what makes Yero Mahmood relevant today? It's relevant today because when you, yeah, no, I think what you see is a very talented man who came over as a slave, and we know a lot about this man, and you can see how talented he was and how much he tried to achieve, and he did achieve, but there were still limits. And so when you look at this man, you can, and you have a face. So, you know, you hear about people on slave ships, and they seem sort of, you know, no faces to them. When you look at this painting, of, uh, this gorgeous painting of Yara Mamut, this terrifically live human being, 
and you can say that's the face of the people that were on slave ships. So the no, it's not impersonal anymore. But Yar himself was a, a very hard worker and a great achiever. Right, and and Yara Mamut indeed he received his freedom before. Am, am I right? Before the the law went into effect. Yes, he, he and he was also in the District of Columbia. The, the 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 state legislature in Maryland and the colonial legislature before that was always trying to restrict and limit. Uh, freedom for slaves and make it more difficult. But, you know, as tobacco wore out, the economic uh, reasons for slavery started going away and, and white owners had a choice of either sending their slaves down south to the cotton plantations or freeing them. And, and so things got a little better for a while for people like Yarrow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And why do you think that uh, Yarrow Mammoth's Story is not really told in the history books, uh, or, or how come he's not really familiar to many of us who are uh, into history? I think it's because it's so different from what we think of uh, black people in the slave era. There's this uh, bigoted notion that they didn't have any talent, they weren't educated, and they didn't know anything. And when you see someone like Jeremy Moot, you can see that this guy was very, very savvy, very, very intelligent, very competent, knew his rights, and took care of himself. And, and it's just not the picture uh, we have. Also, that so much of black history looks at the plantations in the Deep South where conditions were just terrible. And in a border state like Maryland and indeed in, in Georgetown where uh, blacks had a little bit more flexibility, you, you can see that they could achieve and they were gaining early achievement. Great. And how did uh, Yarrow Mahmoud, how did he display uh, that he knew his rights, or how did he display that he, he was educated? How were these things brought to light? Well, I go through the book, all these legal, there were three or four legal uh, tangles that he was involved in, and he always came out ahead. He um, apparently got into, he had given his money for safekeeping to someone who ran off with the money. And so he was penniless, but he owned a house. And his creditors, the people he owed money to, could come and foreclose on that house. And so he immediately redeeded the house to his son to get it out of the hands of creditors. And that's a pretty savvy thing to do. Uh, and he, he kept the house and avoided his creditors. So he knew what he was doing uh, legally. He, he was loaning money to white people. He was putting his money in his bank. The bank he had his money in collapsed. But he pulled his money out before the bank collapsed, so he didn't lose his money. And so he really knew what he was doing. Good, good, good. Good, good, good. Um, now, are there any other particular stories that I think would, that would pull, you know, any other stories of interest about Yeru Mahmoud, any similar stories? No, but I, what I do want to say before we wrap up too much, and that is that um, – your listeners can go. I have a blog spot for the book, I mean, a blog for the book, where I've got a lot of pictures and a lot of these stories, so uh, you can see more of the pictures of what what the book and, and his life is about. It's uh, at from slave ship all one word dot blogspot dot com, and uh, there's a picture of what his house looks like today, the, or at least the building that's on his uh, land today, and all all the other pieces that are talked about in the book. And do you have any contact information if somebody wanted to get in contact with you 
or and even getting purchased the book. So, uh, my email address is James H. Johnston at Gmail, and my Johnston's J O H N S T O N. And I'd be happy to answer anyone's questions. All right, and and last before we, can you just tell us a little more about this town, Yarrowsburg? I know it's named after him. If you could just tell us a little more about this town in Maryland. It's it's just a, a sort of a spot in the road. Three roads come together, and it was uh, there were probably ten or fifteen houses there. It's largely a farming community, and um, their house is gone. The Yarrow house is gone, but it was marked on an 1877 map, so I know exactly where the house was. And the neighbors say their grandfather told them where the house was. Uh, and so it's, but as I said, it's all white today. It always has been. There were only, so far as I know, only three black families that lived there. One was the Yarrows and one was the Turners. So um, it's a beautiful spot. And it's a mile, uh, only a mile from the Kennedy farm where John Brown and his men uh lived for three months before they raided Harper's Ferry. So it's very close. To, it, I, I say it's sort of steeped in black history because Harper's Ferry is nearby, the Antietam Battlefield is nearby, and Yarrowsburg sort of in between the two. Wow. Wow. Well, Mr. Johnson, again, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to just share with us and our listeners uh, the story of Yarrow Mamut. And in your book as well, and it, the, the book is again titled From Slave Ship to Harvard, and we can get in contact with you on your blog spot. If you can just repeat your blog spot and your, your email again. My blog spot is from slave ship, one word, dot blogspot dot com, and my email is jameshjohnston at gmail. Thank you very much. And, Mr. Johnson, just one last question, and I'm not, you might have answered it, but it might have slipped by me. I just wanted to know, does the family still reside in Yarrowsburg? Are they, do they still have a tie to Yarrowsburg? No, they moved, uh, they moved from there uh, back in um, around 1900, 1897, I think is when they moved. They owned the place until 1984, but they all live in Baltimore today. Great, great. And we have one caller. Do you have time to take this call? Ask one, I one question. All right. I do. Caller, are you there? Caller, are you there? Okay, I'm sorry. They must have disconnected That's with us, right. Mr. Thompson. All right, again, I thank you for your time. I thank you for sharing with uh, us and our listeners. And uh, we will definitely make sure we uh, support the blog spot and get in contact with you. Uh, for our listeners, again, I would like to thank you again for taking time out to listen to us here at the Gist of Freedom. Until next time, God bless. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>